Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Grecian's Gossip. Uh, apologies for not having an episode last week but uh, we've got a full house now. I'm joined by David Byron. Hello. Dan Clark. Hello. And Jamie Hawkins. Hi. Um, now plenty to discuss this week. Uh, we'll start with a very brief look back at the uh, the Newport County game at the weekend. Obviously a disappointing 1-0 defeat. Jamie you were there covering it for mm-hmm. the Echo. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, word. Yeah. I think that sums it up pretty much. You know, it's it's happened the last few games really where we've played sides at home that on paper you should be looking at, you know, getting three points from, you know, Yeovil um, at the time at Accrington, although they've climbed up the table a bit. And um, once again, I think the pressures um, got to them at home slightly. You know, and unfortunately, it seems to be like. Uh, the old days of well early in the season with the the poor home record um, you know it, it's not like we even created too many clear cut chances first half David Wheeler had a couple of good headers which you know probably should have scored but you know in the second half after going a goal behind you know the home crowd cheering you on they, they weren't really pushing for you know an equaliser Newport I thought quite comfortable rarely troubled Mm. That lack of creating chances. I mean, Tisdale talked about it after the game, didn't he? And Dan, you were at the game as well. I mean, that was that. How acute do you think that problem was for Exeter? Well, it sort of was symptomatic of the lineup that was picked. I mean, it was a team at home to Newport. They're in the relegation zone. And you've got a back four with four centre backs and a midfield of four central midfielders. And you sort of looking at it, thinking, well, how exactly are Exeter going to try and score a goal here? I mean. You know, the full-backs have been so important in the season with Woodman and Stacey getting forward. Instead, we had Sweeney and Kroll, and neither of them really looked comfortable going forward, comfortable on the ball. I mean, and neither of them could put a decent cross into the into the box You know, at all during the game in the midfield. I mean, do you need Jordan Tilson at home to Newport? I mean, particularly when he was spent half the game playing as a number 10, basically, which sort of just emphasised even more the bizarre selection of him in that position. So it was just a, a team that you'd sort of say, possibly, the pick your way to Doncaster, you know, to go there, hold it, keep it tight, try and nick a goal, but certainly not at home to Newport. And sort of, you had Ollie Watkins on the bench, you had Jack Stacey on the bench, Joel Grant on the bench, McLinden on the bench, lots of attacking options that you'd look at and you sort of say, well, they should be starting against this kind of side I mean Newport the goal comes from a guy smashing it into the back of that from 30 yards but didn't do anything they didn't really do anything else all game they didn't create a lot it wasn't like they were battering Exeter City they were, they had the attacking talent to go forward it was just a, a, a selection that seemed far too defensive didn't really suit the game and yeah, Exeter never really got into it never you know the last half an hour they had all the attacking players on the pitch. I can't remember a chance, let alone ever really thinking, 
they were going to get an equaliser and then go on to win the game. What, what did you make of Watkins on the bench in particular? Uh, he's done it two or three times this season and it hasn't backfired in any stage. Sort of, It's games extra have gone on to win anyway, but it just seemed so counterproductive against a side that had no pace in the back, in a back three with no pace in it whatsoever, but three big, strong, tall centre-halves who were good in the air, which was exactly, you know, sort of lumping long balls up to Reed and Wheeler wasn't going to work. It was a, a team you wanted to get someone on the ball and run at them because they didn't look as if they were really able to cope with that. So it was just, unless he had a slight injury that we're not aware of or with the the hectic schedule at the rest less of the season to come just wanted to to rest him for a game I don't know but it just you know as we am sure come on to say Ollie Watkins won the best young player in the football league and yet can't get an extra line up <laughs> it just doesn't seem to make sense and it does, strength yeah, in what, it, yeah <laughs> what, it was the kind of thing that there are certain games you might be able to go okay I can see why you might want to have him on the bench for half an hour to go but at home to a poor side, just get against a team you know, with, with that kind of defence, just get Watkins on the pitch running at them and I'm sure he would have created a lot more than we actually did. Mm. Let's not forget it was a side he scored a hat-trick against on uh, New Year's Eve as well. There we go. Mm. Well David, you, you weren't at the game but uh, yeah. at the weekend obviously, but um, so from afar what do you make of that result in terms of what it does for City's playoff hopes and that kind of thing? Um, I think because the results went for the elsewhere, it's sort of as you are really. There's a bit more pressure now. There's only what uh, four points separating sixth to thirteenth, which, which is incredibly tight <laughs> this late in the season. But um, it it doesn't really affect anything at the moment. You know, it's still in their own hands. But I think it makes these next two games pretty crucial for, mm. for City. Well, on the subject of these next two, obviously Barnett at home on Good Friday, and then Cambridge away on uh, Easter Monday. How important do you see these two games being for, for the playoffs? Uh, huge. I mean, I've, I've always taken the view that, you know, when people have asked me how, how games have been in the past, I've thought, mm, they can afford to lose, but they can't afford to lose either of these two, I don't think. You know, if they slip up against Barnet and suddenly Cambridge could even go above them and then they go to Cambridge having to get a result, I mean, they go to Cambridge having to get a result anyway. But, you know, you want to be ahead of Cambridge going into that game because then you can walk away thinking a draw is a good result. Mm. At the moment... You know, City lose to Barnet and Cambridge go above them. That makes Cambridge a must-win game. So I think, um, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be all over if, if City uh, if City don't take max or don't take maximum points or take four points from their next two games. But I think it makes their task a hell of a lot harder. Mm. Jamie, what would you view as a an acceptable return from these two games? Um, you know, there's five games left, and you've got to think: can we really afford to lose? another game after Saturday and the answer you'd think would be no but then other sides don't seem to be in great form either but um, you know it's difficult when you look at Barnet 16th their season's over you, you'd think but how many times have we played a side with nothing to play for and not got the result we wanted um, you know you'd be looking to win the Barnet game and a draw at Cambridge I think would be a a good result, but the way it's been going recently, if you see a loss on Friday and a win on Monday, so I'd say four points would be, you know, a strong, um, strong weekend. Mm. Yeah. Dan, if I had to put you on the spot, how could you actually see those games panning out? I mean, you, you look at it, Barnet's 
recent form is pretty poor. One one win in last ten at least. You know, they're assigned. You kind of feel it's John Akinde and ten other blokes standing on the pitch with him at, at times, and there's something you've nothing to play for. It's a game that Exeter should win, but that's the kind of you look at that and go, okay, that's probably not going to win. I mean, it, you feel it should be you should be able to beat Barnet at home, Cambridge away. You look at that, and you probably take the point there, but that's the kind of game extra more likely to win, I suspect, coming away from it. You'd want four points out of six minimum, you sort of feel from the Easter games, but yeah, it would, it would feel a little bit disappointing if those four points included a win at Cambridge and a draw with Barnet, because it just would sort of be yet another poor home performance, another poor home result, and yet, I suppose. That way round was actually is actually better for Exeter City because you're you're killing off Cambridge as a as a challenger rather than you know a draw with them keeps them within a win beating them that makes it five points to them which with three games to go you kind of feel that that would be enough to mean that they're going to finish behind you that's one team less to think about particularly Exeter they still want to go to Doncaster on a day that. They're probably going to be picking up the trophy. You'd be, you wouldn't. You know, it's away record's been great, but you kind of feel that Doncaster are going to want to put a show, show on for their fans, particularly as they get going to lift the trophy that day. That's a game we don't see Exeter getting a lot from. Carlisle at home on the last day does look like it could end. It's going to be a shootout for a playoff spot, possibly. And you, you'd want to be ahead of Carlisle, knowing that a draw gets you into the playoffs rather than having to win that game. Mm-hmm. Well, we caught up with um, Paul Tisdale looking ahead to the um, Barnet game, so if you have a quick listen to what uh, what Tis has to say about it. Um, I can't predict exactly who will play, when they'll play, but I know that we will require, you know, good usage of the squad, more than just 11 players. Um, we'll be playing Cambridge, who will be, you know, on the, on the, the Monday, having had the game earlier in the weekend and both sets of players retired and but it's six points at stake. It's um all focus is on those two games. Uh, one at a time. One at a time, find it first. So all that winning but winning the game find it first and then we'll we'll move forward from there. So I think we all realise the importance of it. Um but it's just one game at a time and we have to play the game. We have to play what's in front of us and take the game in isolation and and concentrate on our opponent. So we, um, I think we're all ready for it. Um, we're excited about the prospects of a thrilling end to the season. And, um, you know, it, it's all up for us. You know, we're all positive and excited about it. And uh, as you mentioned, there is a prospect of a, a good end to the season. I suppose at the moment you probably don't need much work to, to sort of motivate the players or anything like that. No, I think it's about, it's about getting their, you know, getting the the direction of their thoughts correct. I don't think there's any motivation at all needed. It's just an exciting end, and we have to be, we have to be, um, that we'll take it on, not get, not not get worried about the situation. You know, it's all upside. We've, we've come from bottom of the league in November. We're now in a really good position. We have to enjoy it. And uh, just on, on Barnet, they've had a, had a bit of a sort of. Uh not turbulent at such time off the field, but they, they have changed managers a couple of times this season, but they they sort of done quite well with, with Kevin Nugent in charge to sort of steady the ship and, and stay mid-table. Yeah, I think they've done a good job. I think they've done a good job. Um, 
Yeah, League League Two football is, is all teams are, all teams are closely matched, you know, and you have to be careful of everybody and not take too much into consideration about someone's season. You know, as we saw from Newport, we're having a bit of a resurgence themselves. So, I think we I think we're well aware of of, 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 of the challenge with every team, and we won't take anybody lightly. Right now, moving on to uh, some other business. Ollie Watkins, as we mentioned a moment ago, um, he picked up the uh, Dave, remind me the young the EFL mm, Young Player of the Year award. That's the one. Now, I think. Um, well, I mean, first of all, do you think that was was deserved? Uh, I don't. I don't see why not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's a beat off competition from from an Oxford player and a Reading player to win. He's the first ever B two player to win it. But you know, he he's been sort of that good this season and he, he is that young that there's no reason why he shouldn't win it to be honest uh, I mean I, I think it's deserved yeah mm. how uh, we've talked quite a bit about Watkins in the past but so just how so, I mean do you think he's arguably City's most important player or do you think how just how important do you think he is to that City team um, I think they rely on him I, I, I wouldn't say it's difficult to say he's obviously a key player for City but um you know that he's. I think he's missed a couple of games where, where City have won this season already, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I mean, I I don't think they'd be as high up in the league as they are at the moment if if Ollie Watkins wasn't there. That's for sure. But um, I don't think it's like necessary if he's out of the team they'll lose or anything like that. Although that obviously happened on Saturday. <laughs> um, yeah. So obviously he's an important, a very important player. But um, and that's why he's won the award. But I I, I don't think. I think it's good that City haven't built their play around him that much. You know, they, they do have other other forms of attack, like David Weaver, for example, who obviously broke the goal scoring record earlier in the season. They do have those other players who can who can come into the limelight when Watkins might not be playing well or might be at the side. Dan, I'm guessing from your earlier comments, you're keen to see him involved as much as possible this weekend. Well, it kind of feels you can't think of any other of the players who've won that award in the past. A manager going. You know, leaving them out of the side for tactical reasons or anything else. You know, you can't. He is excellent. You know, he's Exeter's most creative player, the most attacking player, the best prospect. You know, the EFL's young player of the season. So you kind of want to see him in that side. You know, he's he's rated that highly by everyone else in the football league. You kind of feel well, Portisto should be rating him that highly as well. And you know, picking him particularly given that. It didn't work on on Saturday without him in the side. Really, I mean, it's quite where you play him, play him as just behind the strike. You play him out wide if necessary. You just need to particularly get him on the pitch if particularly if he's not gonna if he's gonna play a more defensive you know, back four as well with Kroll and Sweeney at, at full back. That sort of new to see attack in that instance. So, I mean, there's five games to go. Not a lot of time left in the season. You've got to almost pick your best players now. There's no time for resting players. No bit of rotation this side. It's got to be this is my best eleven to win each game. And I can't really see a scenario that that best eleven doesn't include Ollie Watkins. Mm. Well, Jamie, I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but you can't have a thing. It's almost it's quite a Paul Tisdale thing to do, almost to, to not rely on one player. Isn't it? I remember when Jamie Curiton was prolific yeah. over a few seasons and. This is always very happy to make it clear that he never sort of relied on just one player. To yeah, and I, I was just remembering last season when he played at Anfield, he, you know, Tom Nichols was was going, but he left him on the bench. You know, and City's best player at the time, which was when I saw the team sheet being there, was absolutely stunned by that. 
Um, but yeah, I think it is clear to make it, you know, that is about the whole team. It's not just about an individual player. Perhaps he's saying that to ease the pressure on him. You know, he's done it with, you know, Ethan Ampadu as well. You know, he's still young. Uh, trying to keep the, you know, the spotlight away from him. Um, so maybe it's to, you know, keep him on his toes, I suppose. Not let, you know, all these accolades in the walls get to him, I guess. But, you know, it only adds um, more speculation, I guess. More teams are going to be seeing the awards he's won now and, you know, speculation is going to mount. But, um, you know, it was thoroughly deserving to put him, you know, on a level with the other players that have won it in the past. Gareth Bale. You know, it's tremendous for him, and um, but you know, I think he's the sort of player that you know will just get on with it, sort of play it down in a way. And um, I'm sure he's aware that there's more bigger things to to worry about at the moment. What do you think this means for Watkins in terms of his future clubs that might be interested? How much he might eventually go for? <laughs> yeah, that kind might of thing. Add a few more zeros. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know, if anyone. Was at the awards or perhaps watching it. Um, his name would have, you know, obviously got more popularity and more clubs are going to be watching him. And like I said, I think whether we're playing in League Two or League One next season, uh, sadly, would be surprised if he's uh, still here next season. Mm. And David, you did a piece uh, for Devon Live recently, looking at some of the other players that have won the award and a pretty prestigious list David Nugent accepts obviously but yeah other than that I mean it's pretty uh, uh, some impressive names on there oh yeah you know Gareth Bell Deli Alley um, Fabian Delph Fabian Delph yeah <laughs> I wonder how do you how do you that um, and yeah I mean I, I think what was noticeable was how much the players were sold for as well he'd, he'd won the award I don't think any, any of them went for less than a million pounds I mean most you know, Delhi Alley, for example, went from a League One club, MK Dons, to Spurs for five million pound. And I, I don't know if Ollie Watkins is ready to make such a jump, but you know, they, they can easily. I think they can easily command a decent fee for him now that now that he's won this award. Mm, okay. Now moving on to something else, which has caused a bit of controversy this week. <laughs> David's been um, doing his best to stir up a hornet's nest here. Um, David, do you want to tell us just briefly about the uh, the article you wrote earlier on the week about Plymouth Argyle's Twitter feed? <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, uh, Plymouth Argyle's Twitter feed is um, a load of rubbish on a match day. <laughs> I'm not going to hold back it. It's just completely unprofessional. They they just I mean they they say they're unapologetically partisan, but you know there's going too far. I think. And uh, you know I saw on on Saturday they got into a a spat with Crawley Town's Twitter feed um, and it was all rather bizarre you know they uh, they, they came from, from behind to beat um, beat Crawley with a last minute goal Crawley were down to 10 men as well and they said it was totally deserved which I mean I, I wasn't at that game I can't dispute it but um, obviously Crawley took rather a bit of exception to that and said uh, here's a, a more unbiased match report and from there it all kicks off <laughs> with uh, with Plymouth saying, oh, you look after your fans, we'll look after our fans. And then uh, I think Crawley accused him of being like Donald Trump with, with fake news. <laughs> it's all, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just think it's all, it, it seems to be run by a fan who just, he just doesn't have any idea of professionalism. You know, I'm, 
I'm certainly not the only person <laughs> who thinks this. Um, and you know, last season, for example, when um, they, I think it was the 25th of October, they tweeted something like, "Oh, let me look at the league table." Oh, look, ha ha ha, we're still top or something like that. Magnificent. <laughs> and uh, that's all well and good on the 25th of October, but come May time when you're blowing it at Wembley in the playoff final, you just look a bit stupid. <laughs> and uh, they looked very stupid. And that, that, I mean, I didn't actually see that tweet on the 25th of October. I saw it after, saw it after they lost to FC Wimbledon so, um, <laughs> because so many people were retweeting it. I think it's just, it just creates a rod for their own back, really. And, and it just looks... It looks pathetic. It doesn't look professional at all. You know, if you're a if you're a club official tweeting from a club account, you shouldn't be putting your own opinion. You should be putting the opinion of the club. You know, I I tweet from the uh, from at the Devon Live Sport Facebook uh, Facebook account and Twitter account. I don't put my opinion on there because who cares? You know, it's it, I just I just roll my eyes pretty much every time I see it. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, now I should point out for the record as well that David is most definitely an Ebbsfleet fan. Or he's been very convincingly masquerading as well, <laughs> travelling back to Kent quite often to go and see them play when he's apparently secretly an Exeter City fan. But uh, Dan, you are an Exeter City fan. Um, I take it you've obviously seen the both the article and Plymouth's, Plymouth's feed. What do you make it from a Exeter City perspective? Sort of taking things from a, a different level. It used to be that club mascots would be the ones getting into, into spats on the touchline and things. Now it's the club Twitter feed, sort of it's all gone on online. It's a bit... It's a 21st bit, century. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the modern world we live in now. I mean, poor mascots are getting forgotten about. But it's, you know, I can, I can sort of see from Plymouth Argyle's point of view that it's a club account. It's effectively for Plymouth Argyle fans and they're not going to they're gonna want a little bit of, you know, their viewpoint, a little bit of banter, a little bit of saying, look how great we are, look how terrible everyone else is, and so on. But it does, as I say, it does create issues. It's conflict that you don't necessarily need to have. And, I mean, they're probably going to get away with this season. They are probably going to go up and they can tweet what they like then. <laughs> but when you say we're top, of the, we're top of the league and you're having lost games and, you know, getting into spats with other clubs, you know, accusing them of of time wasting and everything like that and then it goes horribly wrong you sort of ends up backfiring on you and sort of getting a bit of you know abuse a bit of you know, stick that perhaps they don't necessarily need but I mean it's it's sort of you know the whole club there's some other things that come far guard I mean you can sort of see Derek Adams as the manager they're, they're a club who doesn't necessarily have a problem with winding people up and getting into pretty needless spats some of the time but you know it's, it's I suppose you know, I can't there's not too many other club Twitter accounts that I can think of that sort of try and needle the opposition in the way that that Plymouth does I mean and the other ones that you know, I know Bayern Munich uh, have done a little bit with Arsenal about <laughs> Arsenal and you know, tweeting pictures of the 5-1 and saying we'll see you next next time again but that's sort of much more of a, a jokey, light-hearted way rather than the Plymouth one, which sort of comes across as a as a bit aggressive at times. Mm. I suppose, I mean, Jamie, but, but does it come down to this whole question of, you know, what do you almost want from your club's Twitter feed and social mm. media? Do you, do you want a, a fairly unbiased... I mean, I think it's always going to be slightly mm. pro a club. I think we all accept that. But do you want it to be kind of fairly impartial? or? Yeah, I think so. I mean, 
like you just said, it's going to be slightly biased because it's from the club's Twitter account, and you know, you see tweets where they say, you know, yes, get in. That's you know, that's acceptable, I think. But when you're winding up the opposition, and as we saw last season, prematurely celebrating after a pitch invasion after being Portsmouth in the semi-final. I mean, I'm completely against pitch invasions unless you've actually won something, because every one of those fans looked ridiculous. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's up to the fans that have the opinions. It's the fans that talk on the terraces about everything. You know, the club's Twitter is, in my view, you know, on a match day to provide live updates of what's going on in detail. And, you know, obviously you want to see them do well but um, you know it's it's childish in a way isn't it when they put comments I haven't seen all of the tweets I've seen you know some of them from the other day and last season putting ha 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 and stuff like that it's just it's embarrassing and if I was a fan I'd be you know I'd be quite red faced (laughs) I actually got a tweet from a Plymouth fan who has been blocked by Plymouth Twitter feed <laughs> well, because he had the cheek to criticise a, a Plymouth performance. Totalitarian. A bit of spin on a, <laughs> on a club account or a club, you know, if it, you know, Exeter City, obviously, I presume the, the, the website the report from the Exeter from their loss against Newport isn't going to kick off with a, a dismal Exeter City performance <laughs> where we're outclassed by a horrible, yeah, terrible yeah. Newport team. It's going to be Why a well was in Watkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a Exeter City battled hard when unlucky to yeah. lose to a to a yeah. wonder strike. But there's an which you can sort of there's an element of a spin, but it goes too far at times. What mm. The only seen. time I saw City kind of embarrassed was at the Notts County game when you know Harley score was it the second goal and they said that yeah. sealed it. Oh, of course. The end of Jordan, but when you, when there's you, no laughs in that. Yeah, when yeah. you're two 0 up in the 92nd minute, <laughs> yeah. you, you should have sealed it. That's, yeah. that's on the players yeah. a, a little bit. Yeah. And <laughs> they also had the good grace. Um, I think the next game it was uh, City scored or something like that, and someone tweeted in tongue in cheek saying sealed it. Yeah. I think they took it <laughs> never again. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, Dave, I'm going back to the the original sort of Argyle tweet we were talking about or it's quite unusual for clubs to get into spats with other clubs I suppose in their, their Twitter feeds and does that cross a, a bit of a line almost from what you've seen I mean it doesn't happen all that often does it no it doesn't but um, in fact the only times I can remember it happening is with Plymouth but um, <laughs> I think it's just uh, it's because most other clubs just play it by the play it by the book I mean I think uh, Crawley I, I saw that they um I saw their media manager, I saw he tweeted um, about my article actually, and he tweeted saying he was in two minds whether to get into a spat, but he said he was glad that he's not the only person who thinks that. So obviously it's a case of, you know, they just pushed it too far, I guess, but um, I think I think if uh, if Crawley had just sort of tweeted they were a match report, I don't think there would have been a problem, but I think they, the fact they sort of replied to Plymouth Argyle's tweet in the first place called Ziffy. Mm. Well, I think it might be one that might rumble on for a little bit longer, I suspect, so we'll keep up. See what happens. Yeah. Um, all right, we also caught up with um, Jake Taylor, the, uh, the captain fiddle earlier, so let's uh, have a listen to what uh, Jake has to say about uh, sort of Exeter City's games coming up. Yeah, Jake, frustrating afternoon. What are your thoughts on the game today? Yeah, like you said, obviously very frustrating. Um, you know, I don't think we quite 
did enough to win the game, obviously. So you know we're we're very frustrated, but you know we've got two important games coming up in quick succession. So hopefully we can we can bounce back and and continue our form. Yeah. Do you think the um, game was affected by the, the delay kickoff? Did that affect your preparations? Do you think? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. Um, obviously, we're all you know professional people. You know these things are going to happen in 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 football, and I don't think that's got anything to part to play with you know we were we were all ready come the start of the game and and you know like I said yeah disappointed in the result but um, you know still a lot to play for. Yeah. Uh, quite a frustrating game in the first half as well created a few chances we had a few headers uh, must have been what was said at half time. Yeah obviously we had a few little half chance in the first half and then you know just to keep going and then obviously when they they scored the goal they sort of sat back a bit and, and made it hard for us and I don't think we quite did enough to, to break them down, which is which is disappointing. But you know we'll we'll go back uh, good weeks training and then and then hit the ground running Friday. Despite the result, we're still sick in the league. The results went our way. Um, you know, is that some sort of consolation? I guess it's still up there. Yeah, I think you can look at it both ways. Lives is it's good to still be in the playoffs. But you know, if we had won today, we'd be I think what is it five points in there. So you know, obviously we're. We're happy we're still there, but you know we're, we've done nothing yet. So I'll be happy once come the end of the season we're in there. Yeah, and a big weekend ahead. Uh, two games in three days, I think. You know, how are you going to look ahead to that? Obviously, need to start winning again, I guess. Yeah, like I said, we've got two big important games coming up in over the weekend, and you know we'll work hard during the week to to pick up results. Obviously, we've got one here, so it'd be nice to. You know, get another home win under our belt and obviously we've been great away from home recently so you know we'll be confident going into that game as well. Right and finally just to round off a couple of things some uh, questions on Twitter now the first one is from James ECFC he asks uh, if we lose Watkins who do you want to replace him personally I'd like Ricky Millers he scores goals and is carrying Dover. Um, Jamie what do you make of that? So, I'll be walking on the yeah I've, I've heard good things about uh, Ricky Millers scored quite a few goals this season and you know Dover I understand are quite up there in the playoffs in the conference and um, you know you look at the standard between the top of the conference and League 2 I'd say it's quite similar because League 2 I think has been quite poor the standard this year and you know you look at how many teams have got promoted from the conference and gone straight up to League 1 again um, I think he would do well at, you know mostly two sides um, you know perhaps it's still too early to be looking at potential signings we don't know definite Watkins is going although it does look you know inevitable doesn't it um, but you know Tisdale's done that before he's dipped into the lower leagues sort of James Norwood although that was a bit of a risk but that was a huge step up from Eastbourne was it to, to League One and unfortunately didn't work out for him he's a tramway now I think mm. um, so it's David Wheeler as well currently I suppose yeah was it so Staines was yeah yeah so, yeah, so he, he does like to dip into the lower leagues and you know the amount of goals that he scored this season you know why not mm. is he a player you know David um, vaguely I, I mean I've, I've heard of him I'm not I can't I probably have seen him play I can't remember it standing out um, when I seen him play but um, I think the issue is he'd be paying quite a bit of money for Ricky Miller um, because Jim Parminter the Dover chairman isn't one to to let players go cheaply I, I think he's probably already got Ricky Miller if he's not tied down to the contract for next season I'm sure he's going to try and force him to be 
and uh, you know even then if he is a free transfer for example you'd, you'd need to be paying quite a bit of wages for him I, I would imagine so um, I mean uh, I'm sure everyone would like to see, see a good player come to City <laughs> but um, I don't know it's difficult really I mean I, I think they've almost got a ready made replacement in, uh, in Jake Taylor just put, push Jake Taylor forward into a more attacking position and then look for another midfielder but um yeah, Ricky Neal is a nice idea, but I'm, I'm not sure I can see it happening, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've also got a question from Exiled Greece, and he asks, can Ryan Hardy defend? There's been quite a debate on Twitter, so I thought you guys could go over it. Dan, do you want to tackle that one? Uh, if he, the pun? <laughs> he defends better than he did in his first spell at Exeter City. I mean, first time at the club, he was he was a he was a very much a luxury player in that when he, you're on the ball, he was brilliant. And when the other team had the ball, it was like having ten men. There was, you know, he might make one or two challenges a season, and that would, that would be it. Since he's come back, he does look as if he's working a lot harder. He sort of, I wouldn't be able to, I haven't seen the stats, but I guess he runs more than he did beforehand. He does seem to get stuck in a little bit more. So he's sort of, he's really perhaps a, perhaps at the detriment to the attacking parts of his game. He doesn't quite appear to have. The same spark he did the first time round, but he does at least he does seem to be trying to defend a little bit more than he did, and sort of putting the effort and putting the challenges in. You know, I've sort of been in a few games this season, and you know, you've seen Ryan Harley win quite a lot of challenges in games. But so he's it's it's something that he's definitely improved on. He's the, he's not a natural defender by any kind of means. You sort of you'd want him spending more of his energy creating chances than. And stopping chances, but you know he's better than he was the first time round. Is he a great defender? Probably not. But does he represent a weak link at all, or his defensive play represent a weak link at all in Exeter City? Or can they get by? They can. Him? Yeah, he can definitely get by, particularly if he's as he's been playing out on the left hand side of the midfield recently, rather in than in the midfield. I mean, he could play in the midfield too, but. You kind of would feel you want a more defensive option, sort of a you know Jordan Tilson inside alongside him, rather than say Lloyd James, who doesn't make as many challenges, doesn't run around as much. I mean, it's he has done a lot of tracking back on the left hand side. He sort of him and Woodman seem to have linked up fairly well, but you know it's a bit of a weakness. But then you know he's an attacking midfielder. You can't. There's not too many attacking midfielders particularly playing in League 2 who are particularly well known for their defensive skills so but you know he's definitely improved from what he was have but there are you think quite a few extra players someone like Jake Taylor someone like that who is a better defender it does put you know run around the pitch a bit more but that's more of their game I guess mm. Jamie I'm curious to ask you I mean it's I suppose we've seen it both Ryan Hiley and Jake Taylor to an extent, both some more attacking players in mm. their earlier times at Exeter City. I mean, yeah, did, yeah. What do you I mean? I don't think he's in the side to defend. You know, you look at Saturday. Um, he's playing four at the back, four centre backs. You got um, Tilson and James, who you know Tilson's very defensive minded. I think defensive preferred. James also, you know, drops back a bit. So do we need Hiley to? defend that much probably not and you know he's playing on the left side of midfield which I still think he's um, trying to get used to um, since I've seen him from the first spell he's one of those players 
don't want to sound harsh, but he's quite casual, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, he perhaps doesn't sprint as much as the other players. Um, but, you know, he's made up for that with, you know, some over the years, some amazing goals and technique and, you know, to be able to just distribute the ball. Um, well, you know, I don't really see him as a defender. I don't expect him to be tracking back unless, you know, trying to see out the game. But, you know, he, I guess on Saturday, he gave the ball away um, quite in a quite deep position and Newport scored. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know, when we've already got the likes of Tilson and James who, you know, are quite defensive-minded, do we need Harley there as well? Because if we lose him as an attacker, you've only got, like you said, Taylor and, and Wheeler, really. So. Mm. I mean, just find push point forward slightly, but I mean Jake Taylor, Dave. You mentioned him a moment ago regarding it as a replacement for Ollie Watkins. I mean he's an interesting player in that when he, I dare say when he first came to prominence with Exeter City fans, he was almost viewed as more of a forward, really, wasn't he? Sort of thing. And then he seems to have had a stint out wide as well, and now seems to be in the centre of midfield. So I mean you, you seem to think his best position is definitely to push further up the field. Yeah, I mean don't get me wrong. I think he's played really well at um, certain sort of deeper in a deeper role I think he's been one of City's best players this season but I do think he, if you do that he sort of just takes something away from his attacking game and it's quite I wouldn't say sad to see but you know you, you do sort of look at him sometimes and think oh how good would he be if he was pushed a bit further forward I mean that's not to say he's playing badly like I said but um, I just think he, he can carry quite a decent goal, uh, goal scoring threat as, as we've seen this season last season when he's sort of in a more attacking area uh, on the wing he's not always he sort of flitted it out out games a little like Ryan Harley in a way, so I sort of think that sort of Watkins role in centre attacking midfield would, would go really well. Great stuff. Well, there you go, Exile Grish. I hope that answers your question. That's everything from us, um, and we'll be joining you next week with another Grishin's Gossip podcast.